All right. Good morning. Good morning. We are glad that you're here today and uh, welcome to Lake Point Church. And, and uh, maybe this is your first time with us this morning. And um, in your program, as you came in, you should have given, been given a program. And um, that looked like this. Inside the program, there's a little card that said connection card. And uh, we just simply like for you to just let us know about your visit with us today. And uh, at the end of the service, we'll have an offering time. You can drop that card in the offering basket. And just let us know about your visit with us today. And uh, thank you for being here. Um, uh, tomorrow, I, uh, before we dive into the message here, I, I do want to take a quick time here to recognize uh, the, the weekend, which is uh, tomorrow we, we honor our veterans, um, Veterans Day tomorrow. And I, I would... I know that we have several here in the room, and uh, we, we want to just take a minute and recognize you if you've served, or maybe you are serving currently right now. You, you're a veteran, or maybe you're an active, uh, you're serving in military. Will, will you stand, if you have served in some shape or form in the United States Force? And I ain't, I got one over here, right here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It may be seated. So thankful for the freedom that we have and for the cost and for the price that many men and ladies have uh, been willing to sacrifice for, the, for our freedom today. And um, but today, I want to talk about um, who's your one, containing this idea of who is the person that you're trying to reach. And, um, and today, I want to talk about whatever it takes, doing Whatever it takes. Now, last week we talked about being on God's team, that God chose you to be, uh, be uh, used to serve for him, to serve him. He uses you. He uses me. And uh, it doesn't matter how much you know or how much you don't know, uh, God has a plan for you to be involved on his team to reach others. And so he said last week to the disciples, he said, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And these men, fishermen, who had no education, who uh, didn't pass, you know, uh, the school, an elementary school of the, of the Torah school that we talked about last week, uh, they dropped their net, the Bible says, and they followed him. And, and that was a, a really important, important moment in their lives that they were chosen. They were chosen. Everybody else, all the other rabbis, you know, didn't want to have anything to do with them. But God, Jesus Christ, chose the disciples, these men, and he chose us too to become fishers of men. And so I'm hoping that we would continue to unpack this idea of this one person in our lives that we need to reach to become fishers of men for that one man, that one woman, and, uh, and going after the one. And I want you to think about this for a minute. There's this idea that we're really passionate about movements. Are we not? We're passionate about movements. We love to be a part of something great. We love to be a part of that, right? We love to be a part of a winning team. You know, it's great when our favorite football team 
went again. We love that. You know, we love, we love it when our favorite uh, basketball team is, is, is winning. We love it when our job that you work for is making, you know, it's making profits, you know, and you can pay, you know, things are going well, and, and you love to be a part of an organization that's winning. You love to be a part of a movement. We love to be a part of a church that's doing something great for the kingdom of God. But oftentimes, we sometimes miss our part in it. It's one thing to be on the sideline cheering. It's another thing to be in it. It's like when Nathan, my son, and Abigail, you know, Nathan 12, Abigail 6, and Nathan likes to play basketball. He's, he's all about basketball right now. And, um, and you can have a conversation with him about basketball. He, he can have a real conversation. He knows more about basketball than I do, I think. You know, and, and he just starts talking about basketball. And, and, of course, Abigail, she's six years old. She, she, just, she doesn't care. And so, you know, there's been a couple of times this past summer, Nathan goes and go outside and, you know, going to play basketball. And Abigail's like, I'm going to go play basketball too. And so, you, you know, you step outside after a little bit, and you see Nathan, he's working on his basketball. You see Abigail playing in the dirt, you know, every now and then she'll, she'll cheer for Nathan. Oh, Nathan, good job, you made it. And then after a little bit, they come in, I say, hey, guys, how was basketball? And, and, and Nathan said, man, I, I, I did good. And Abigail said, man, I did great. <laughs> no, Abigail, you didn't play basketball. I saw what you were doing. You were cheering. But isn't that what we do sometimes? And I feel a lot of us, we're really good cheerleaders. But we're not good contributors to the mission of God. We're really good at standing on the sidelines, throwing up our pom-poms, and we're cheering away while everybody else is hard, working hard on the front line to end the game. And what I'm hoping today is that we will stop being cheerleaders and that we will start becoming contributors to the great movement of God that's affecting Shelby Township and Macomb Township, Macomb County, Oakland County. And it doesn't start with the masses. It starts with one. It starts with one person. And I want to look at Luke chapter 5 this morning. And what I'm hoping today is that as we read a passage of Scripture, that the Holy Spirit will begin to put on our heart a desire, a passion for that one. Luke chapter 5, this is a very familiar story, but I want you to see the story again today. Chapter, seven, chapter 5, verse 17, one day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. By the way, there were four men. There's another account to the story. There were four men carrying a paralyzed man on his mat. They tried to take him into the house, but verse number 19, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, and they lowered him on his mat through the roof, through the tiles in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow or who is this man 
who speaks blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, that's a great question here. That, and it's a question that constantly comes up in the New Testament. Who is this man? Who is this man? Who is Jesus? In fact, it's one of the most important questions that every human being on the face of this planet will have to answer. Who is Jesus? Who is this man? Verse number 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking. I, and I love this. You know, he already knows what they're thinking. He got the Jedi mind trick going on here. Uh, he he knows what they're thinking, and he's like, I know what you're thinking already, and I'm just going to go ahead and answer the question. You know, I'm going to answer what you're thinking already. He, just, he knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? He said, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? He said, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Here's a few things I want you to talk about these four men. They had a passion for the one. They had a heart for the one. And I want you to see these four things as we begin to set our hearts on who's your one. Number one, these four men had a mission. They had a mission. Now, mission helped define us. Mission gives us direction. A mission gives us a purpose. Mission gives us direction in our family. It gives us direction and purpose in our jobs. It gives us direction in our culture. It gives us direction in our businesses. Now think about this. For your company that you work for, it has a, it has a mission statement. And if you're working in your job and you start to go outside the mission statement, you start going outside the mission, then probably one of your supervisors, the boss, will call you in and try to bring you back in and remind you of the mission of the company that you're working for. It's going to constantly remind you. And Jesus himself, he had a mission statement too. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, the lost people, people that didn't know Jesus. That was his mission. He was most obsessed with those who were far from God. He was passionate. That's why we see Jesus hanging out throughout the New Testament. We saw him over and over and over again hanging out with the lepers, with the outcasts people that were uh, the tax collectors, people that were sinners, people that had, you know, that the religious people had nothing to do with. Jesus hung out with them. He hung out with the broken people. He had a mission of seeking and saving the lost. And in our story, we see a defining mission for the men that brought the paralyzed man to Jesus, right? We see the mission. The mission was, they had a friend they wanted to see walk again. Pretty simple. They, they saw a need for their friend to, to be able to walk. And it moved them. It drove them. Let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this question for a minute. What drives you? 
What drives you? What pushes you? What moves you forward in your life? What is it that is your motivation? Is it to have a good job? Is it to have an early retirement? Is it so that maybe you can leave a good inheritance for your kids? And by the way, all those things are good. Those are good things. Those are things that God wants you to enjoy and that, you, that he wants you to have. You know, he wants you to have th- a job that provides and that you're able to provide for your family. But let me ask you this question. Let, let me take it a little bit deeper. What things, spiritually speaking, drives you? I'm looking, I'm looking past the job that pays the bills and the inheritance. I, I, because that's good. But I'm talking about something bigger than that. Spiritually speaking, what drives you? What kingdom dreams do you have? What things in your life are you thinking about? What are the things in your life that are just building up inside of you for eternity's sake, that's driving you, pushing you forward? What, what is it that drives you on your knees, begging God for, for, for the answer, begging God for him to, to make a move in your life or to move on your friend or to move on your church? What is it that, spiritually speaking, is your mission? One of the pastors I look up to, pastor of the church called the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Of course, it's in Brooklyn, New York. His name is Jim Simbala. The guy played college basketball at two different schools, two different universities. He played at the, at, um, at the University of Rhode Island, and he also played basketball at the Naval Academy. He had a drive to play basketball. He loved the game of basketball. And, and when you think about a college athlete, when you think about someone who's made it at that level, I mean, there's a lot of motivation. I mean, there's a lot of mystery. The drive, they have a mission. Hey, we want to be the best. That's what drives them to get up early for working out. It's what drives them that every spare minute, every spare time they have is to, is to work on their game. And that, it's their mission, it's what they're driving for. And one of the things about Jim Simbala is that when he got to college, and you know, he's got his basketball dreams happening. But he was in college, he sensed that God was calling him to ministry. He was calling him to ministry. And, and, and so Jim Simbala, you know, he wrote one of his books. He wrote a statement in his book. And it's a statement that had a huge impact in my life. In fact, this is a statement that really had an impact on me before I moved up here to Michigan to, to come to Florida, uh, to, to move from Florida back to Michigan at Dart Lake Point Church. I came across this statement. He said, I despaired at the thought. This is what Jim Simbala said. I despaired at the thought I might let my life slip by without God showing himself mightily on my behalf. Jim Simbala said, man, I don't want to live a life just going through the motions without purpose. And I want to do what God wants me to do. And that was a driving force to seek God and not live a life of regrets. Another statement that had a powerful impact in my life. A pastor said this. In fact, the pastor's name is 
Stephen Furtick. Some of you have heard of Stephen Furtick, pastor of Elevation Church. He said, if the size of your vision doesn't intimidate you, it's probably insulting to God. Let's say, God, what dream do you want to give me? God, what is the mission? God, help me to dream big for you. I don't want to just go through the motions. And these, in this passage of Scripture, the, the four men, the driving force for their motivation was that the lame would walk. And as a disciple of Christ, I would say to all of us, as disciples of Christ, if you're looking for a mission for life, not, why not take the mission of Jesus himself? The mission of Jesus was to reach the law. What if that was your mission? I care about the people I work with. I actually care about the people I live by. I actually care about the people in my family. As we begin to think about the one, that we will become ambassadors for Jesus Christ, for the gospel's sake, so that people far from God may come to know him. What is your mission? What is your mission? Who's your one? Who are we going after? Here's the second thing. About these men, they had an eager expectation. Expectation. They didn't just go like, oh man, we got a mission, sounds great. But they kind of go with it. It's just something that's nice to put in my Bible, it's something nice to put in my journal, it's my mission statement. But these, these men actually believed that Jesus could heal their friend. They thought maybe, just maybe, if we could get our friend to Jesus, just maybe Jesus can do only what Jesus can do. And when I think about that, I think about risk. I think about chance, taking a chance, taking a dare on God. And every week, I come to church, every Sunday morning, I come to church with a, with a holy expectation that God is going to do something. That God, God is going to do something here in our midst. And it's never going to go the way I think it's going to go. But God's plan is always better than my plans. I always come every Sunday with, with an expectation. Let me just say this. If, if me, right here, this pastor, ever lose his mission and ever lose his desire to see souls saved for Jesus, this church should fire me. I hear emotion, it's just a second. <laughs> All right, woo. Hey, if I ever lose my drive for Jesus, do yourself a favor and find someone that does. Because you need to have someone that have an expectation for God to show up because you don't want church to go through the motion because I've seen those kind of churches. Just going through the motion. We're just, here to, we're just here to hang out and then we move on and that's it. I want to be a church that wants to go, that wants to run towards the mess. I want to be a church that wants to engage the mess, embrace the mess, because I believe at the end of the day that Jesus, he can turn the mess. He can make it beautiful. He can make it beautiful. I pray that we have an expectation. We should pray. I pray that every Sunday, God, do something in our midst today. Move in someone's heart today. 
change someone's life today. And then I thank God in advance. God, I thank you for what you're about to do. I haven't seen it yet, but thank you, God. There's a story. Uh, we were in our life group last Sunday night, and we heard a story, um, the thought, and um, it's in John chapter 6, verse number 11. It's just the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Remember, uh, the 5,000 plus men, 5,000 men plus the family. And, 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 and they're hungry. It's dinner time, and they've been with Jesus all day. And, and Jesus said to the disciples, find me some food. There's no grocery stores nearby. There's no Walmart nearby. And so um, one of the disciples, Andrew, he came to Jesus and said, I found a little boy's lunch, five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus said, hey, that's good enough. I'm sure the disciples are just kind of like, I don't know what's happening. You know, because five plus two doesn't equal 5,000 in your mind. But Jesus took the bread uh, and he took the fish. And, and look what he did. In verse number 11, he took the loaf and he gave thanks. He blessed the food. He blessed the meal that they're about to have. And I'm sure the disciples are thinking, well, it's not a big meal. I don't know how you're blessing there for everybody, but Jesus gave thanks before the miracle happened. And when it happened, he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Jesus fed the 5,000. Pray with expectations. Pray, God, thank you in advance for what you're going to do in my life. Thank you in advance for what you're going to do today in someone's life. When was the last time you took a risk on God? When was the last time you stepped out in faith? Pray for the one with an eager expectation for God to do what only God can do. Here's the third, third thought. These men encountered an obstacle. They brought their friend to Jesus, and on their way, the house that Jesus was in was so packed with people. People were hanging out the windows. They were hanging out the front yard. There was no way to get the man on a mat to the front door to Jesus. The crowd was thick. It was happening. It was, it was, it was crazy. And if you're like me, it's at this point we throw up the white flag we throw in the towel and say, man, you know, this must be a closed door. God must have closed this door. This not happening today. We can't even get in the building. It's a closed door. And we start speaking, we start speaking Christianese, right? Christianese. We're like, I guess the Lord doesn't want this to happen. So maybe we just need to forget about it. We can't do it anymore. It's not going to happen. The closed door. And for most of us, an open door, if you're taking note, is just Christianese for the path of least resistance. And so I don't understand. Open door terminology for most of us means, Lord, we'll walk through the door, the open door, because it seems easy. Man, God, you gave us an open door. It's easy. It's easy. It's open. It must be your will. I want you to think about this reality. Think about this. 
Imagine if Apostle Paul only walked through open doors according to our definition. If he only walked through easy open doors, I promise you half of the New Testament wouldn't have been written. It wouldn't have not been written. Flog. Paul was beaten. He was thrown in prison. He was shipwrecked. Does that sound like an open door to you? People say, Paul, don't go to Rome. Paul, don't go there. If you go to Rome, you know what's going to happen? They're going to kill you, Paul. And Paul was like, man, they might kill me. But that's where God wants me to go. I'm going to go anyway. Sometimes, where there's a closed door, you need to dig a roof, a hole in the roof. Sometimes, when a door seems shut, it's time for you to dig a hole in the roof. Sometimes you need to improvise and find another way to get someone to the feet of Jesus. Get someone to the feet of Jesus. Sometimes you gotta kick the door open. Don't say, give up, don't, don't throw in the, the towel. Don't give in and say, oh, it must be a closed door. We should just go about our way. No, we, we do what we gotta do. We find another way to Jesus. We do whatever it takes, whatever it takes whatever it takes. And they say, well, you know, Scott, you know, if I talk about Jesus, they, it might affect our relationship. They might, not, they, might not, they might think weird about me. They might mock me. And I'm here to say, do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. Get the door open. Go for it. Because people need to know about Jesus. They need to know who he is. Here's the fourth thought. These men got more than they bargained for. They got way more than they bargained for. I want you to look back at verse number 22. Let's look at a couple of these verses again. Verse number 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven, or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. By the way, that's what they were hoping for. The four men, that was their mission. They had hope for this man to be healed. In verse number 25, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed. They prayed to God. And here's the beauty. Don't miss this verse. They were filled with awe. And they said, we have seen remarkable things today. God showed up. God showed up. It wasn't all like, man, I walk into a state fair and I pay money to go see the shortest woman alive. It's, oh, isn't that cute? That's not all. I'm talking about the filled with wonder. Because we saw God do what only God can do. Listen to this. Don't settle for the mundane when Jesus offered the miraculous. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for the mundane when Jesus offers so much more. Ask God to do what only God can do in the life of the one. 
And the beautiful thing about this passage is this, and I love the order that this happens. And we see this in all of Jesus' ministry. These guys thought their friend needed to walk, right? And so they thought the external, the external circumstances were the most important thing. They thought the external was the most important. But Jesus looked past the external and looked inside the internal. And what did he say to him first? He said, your, your sins are forgiven. And then he said, take up your mat and walk. You see, the greatest need that I have, the greatest need that the one has, the greatest need that any of us have, is not an external tweaking. That's not our greatest need. I'm tired of an eternal tweaking in my life. I don't need an eternal tweak. I need a heart change. I need a change in my heart. I need my soul crushed so that God can mold me into who he wants me to be. God's not after a tweak life. He's after a changed life. And the inner disposition is the most important part of this whole story. It's not about the man walking. I mean, that was awesome. But what's even greater is that God changed his life from the inside out. Now, at some point, you and I were the paralytic on the mat. You and I were the paralyzed one. You and I, we were it. In fact, there might be someone, someone here today, you might be the paralyzed one on the mat today. And you're like, man, my friend keeps inviting me to church. And I finally gave in. It's because they had a mission. And they're excited that you're here. They've been praying for you. They have an expectation for God to do something in your life. Because the hope of the world is Jesus. Because that's what we need. That's what we need. We're not interested in changing the outside as much as we're changing the inside. We believe we start the inside first, that only Jesus can do that. And then the outside can change later. The inside out. Someone look at you and say, my mission is to see that person come to faith in Christ, and they went after you. They expected, and you probably gave them some resistance at first. You probably tried to close the doors and said, no, I'm not interested, and they just kept inviting you. They kept inviting you, and you finally here today. Who's your one? Who's your one? Is it a parent? Is it a friend? Is it a child? Who's your one? It's time for us to get off the sideline. Stop cheering. It's time for us to get in the game. Get bought into the mission. We'll close with a story and then we'll be done. I've told this story before. It's been a while, but I've told this story about, um, it's a story actually from Irfan. Irfan's one of our missionaries. And in fact, Irfan will be here in a couple of weeks. He'll be preaching on our mission Sunday. It'd be a great day. And Irfan was born in Iraq when he was a little, little child. His family 
came on asylum to the United States. He's now a citizen of our country as well. And God had called him to a mission. His mission is to reach the Middle East for Jesus. You're like, well, he lives here. He, li- he lives in Macomb Township. He's actually a member of our church. You don't see him because he's constantly on the road sharing about the need about the Middle East. And he goes over to Iraq twice a year. He's got about five pastors, five churches that he started. He found the pastor, he trained the pastors, he found the pastors. And then he constantly in communication, and with our technology today, you can do that anywhere in the world. While he travels around the country here, raising support, financial support, he is constantly in communication with these pastors in Iraq. The past year, he started a church. He helped start a church in Cairo, Egypt. And that church is just exploding. Just exploding. I mean, they've had to uh, buy a new building. You know, or put a lease on a new building because they've just outgrown the space. God is doing some incredible things. And like I said, he goes over there about twice a year, about a month at a time. And one of his stories, had one of those stories that you just never get out of your head. But he told this story about four years ago. And it's about a man named, when I put it in quotes, Sam. We don't know the real name. But Sam was in Iraq in the, in the, in the city of Mosul, one of the largest cities in Iraq. Sam was the third most powerful man in the city. He wasn't the mayor, I don't know what, you know, he wasn't the, the top dog, but he was the number third person. He came across one of the pastors in Iraq. They began to share the gospel to him. And that pastor led Sam to Christ. And Sam's life changed from the inside out. Now, this is Iraq. And you got to understand, Iraq is, we all know this. It's not United States. It is a predominant Muslim country. And when one walks away from the Muslim country, I mean, you are Mark. Sam got saved, he got baptized. I mean, now he became a Mark man. His family, his wife and two daughters, they left him. They want to have nothing to do with Sam. He lost his job, a well-paying job. He lost it all. In fact, his life was on the run. He was constantly looking behind his shoulders. But Jesus was the greatest thing that's ever happened to him. Wow. And so Irfan met him, prayed with him, and then we go home, and then a year later he come back and he sees Sam again. And Sam, the second time he saw Sam, he had changed. The first time he saw Sam, he was very dressed up, had fine clothing. The second time he saw Sam, 
practically homeless. Lives in a shack. Clothes aren't so nice. Has no money. Flossy family. He's involved in the church. Church family, he's being fed, he's ministering. And he told Irvine, and Irvine's like, man, what are you going to do? And he said, man, I'm going to keep preaching Jesus. I'm going to keep telling people about Jesus. That's my mission. I want to see people to know who he is. He said, I wrote a track. You know, a track is a little gospel literature. And it tells you about who Jesus is. And it's something you can put in your pockets. And Sam pulled out a track. Opened it up. And so I'm handing out the track. I wrote the track. You know what, it, you know what the track says? The title of the track says, 10 Reasons Why the Koran is Wrong. You talk about boldness here. You talk about sticking your neck out. And Irfan was like, Sam, you've got to be careful. That's going to get you in trouble. And I'll never forget what Irfan says as he told a story. He said, Sam looked at Irfan in the eyes and said, what trouble is left? And somewhere today, while we sit in our coziness of our country, in our chairs, in our homes, there's a man on the other side of the world handing out a track, sharing people about Jesus with an expectation to see people come to know him. Why is this? Because Jesus, he's our living hope. And I hope that you believe in that. It's not just a name that we talk about, but I pray that you will believe it and live it out, doing whatever it takes, even if it means to dig a hole in the roof, reaching people for Christ. Here's my question for you. Who's your one? Who is it that God put on your heart to go after for Jesus?